welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. start a new series. It's already been mentioned through the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew. Last week, we were blessed to have Pastor Cal fill in for me while I was sick, um, sickly. I mean, one of the things he said that I thought was especially, uh, I mean, he said a lot of good things. That was a really good message. Um, I need to get some of that, some of that, you know, what he's got there. Um, of course, he's been doing it for like forever, but almost as long as I've been alive, he's been doing it. But one of the things he said was that the whole Bible is about Jesus. And that's something you've heard me say that before, that you can, if you try, you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible, all the way back to the very beginning through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And as our faith grows in God, our, our faith in God, belief in God, as our knowledge deepens about God and our understanding of God's word broadens, the easier and easier it is for us to see Jesus, to see God in every page of the Bible, even in books like Numbers with their seemingly endless lists of names and places that many of them for us you know, the Western readers are unpronounceable. And once we turn to the New Testament, it's much easier to see Jesus, especially in the Gospels. Matthew is the first Gospel. It was the first Gospel that I read. Many of you did the same thing. Most people, it's, it's, it's believed that Matthew may be the most read book of the Bible because most people start there. They start in Matthew. They may not get very far after that, but most of them end up getting through Matthew. I can still remember the first time I read through the Bible. I read through Matthew. Okay, well, that was good. Yeah, I got to remember, I was, I was ignorant. Still am pretty ignorant. But I read through Matthew, and then I got to Mark. And I read Mark, and I'm thinking, hey, there's a lot of the same stuff there. That seems weird. And then I got to Luke. Hey, wait a minute. It's a lot of the same stuff again. It seems a little redundant to me. And, and then I got to John. Okay, whew, some new stuff here. And it was a little refreshing to get into that. And, and I did eventually understand that there was a reason for the four Gospels. There was a reason why the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are similar, but they're not the same. And I, and I, I came to understand that the four Gospels each one of them gives a different perspective of Jesus. Now, I'm going to kind of interrupt this to do a little commercial here. Is that okay? 
Is it okay if I do that? All right. Um, as you go through this, I, and one of the things I would encourage you, if you want to dig in a little bit more than just showing up once a week and, and getting the message, there's some things you can do to kind of prepare. Um, a, couple, a couple of resources I would recommend. One, um, I have this, uh, the synopsis of the gospel. So get, a, get one of these, and what it does is it puts all of these things that are similar together so that when you're reading through Matthew, you can look at, at uh, on the same page and see what Mark says and what Luke says. And if, and if John has some things in there too, you'll see that all side by side. And so there are books like this. This one's called The Synopsis of the Four Gospels. I'll have it here afterwards. You can come up and look at it if you want to. Another resource is a chronological Bible. If you've never read a chronological Bible, they're, they're fascinating because it puts, puts everything in the Bible in, guess, guess, chronological order, in the order they happened in time. And that's really fascinating in the Gospels because not all the Gospels are written in a chronological order. Matthew is not is not purely chronological. So Matthew tends to lump things together, in some cases by category or topic. And so having a chronological Bible is a fascinating way to read the Bible. But if you want to you know, do some of that, because it helps to see what some of the other gospel writers wrote about those things. So gospels are written with these different perspectives. And hold on, let me get these out of the way. There we go. Whew. They're also written to different audiences. And that's one of the reasons why they are different. Matthew, its perspective, the way that it views Jesus, it views him as king. It focuses on his royal heritage and his rightful uh, place as king, spe specifically of Israel, but ultimately to the world. It was written directly, specifically to Jews. And so it is a, it is a Jewish gospel but not just to Jews. All of us can read it and get a lot out of it. We are going to do that because no, any Jews here today? Okay. Typically, there are not going to be a lot of them. Mark was, it views Christ from the perspective of servant. He came to serve, not to rule. He will come to rule, but not when he came the first time. And it was written to Romans. And the Romans were the, were the ruling um, entity in the world at that time, and it was written to specifically a Roman audience. Luke focuses on the humanity of Christ. Uh, Luke was a doctor, you know, he was a physician by trade, and he writes, he writes from that perspective of the humanity of Christ, and he was a Greek also, and he writes to a Greek audience. Um, John uh, focuses on the deity of Christ on his, the perspective that Jesus is God and is written to all believers. And so understanding who the original audience was and the perspective that, that was used for that, the writing of that helps you to understand why things are done and said the way they are, why other things might be left out. One gospel will, will leave things that, that you might think need belong there if you read all the rest of the gospels, and, and they leave them out, and there's a reason why they do. Um, and we're going to see here in this one specifically, there's something that, that, that Matthew does that's very specific to his audience. For example, knowing that Matthew was writing to Jews explains, helps understand why he started it the way that he did. Um, and our goal for this study is ultimately, as every Bible study or sermon or 
teaching or whatever else we might do is to know our Savior King better and better. We want to know Jesus. You know, that's, that should be why we come to church. I'm coming to church so that I can know Jesus. Um, you know, we all, we all, most of us, I'm believing, we have, we have a relationship with Christ, but God would want it to be better. He would want it to be such that it is, it is more and more intimate, more and more real, more and more applying to our everyday life and, and the things that we do and the things that we think and the things that we say. So we want to know Jesus better. And we want to know how to live in his kingdom, his kingdom today, as we wait for him to come back. Amen? So let's pray and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing me back. Lord, you know, my heart, I hate, I hate not being here. I love being with your people. I love that you, you allow me to come and to share um, your word with your people by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, as we do that this morning, that you would move through me as I'm, <coughs> excuse me, still not 100%, um, Lord, that you, would, uh, that you would make up the difference, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for your people, that their hearts would be open, their minds would be clear, and that the, you would be able to speak to them what you want to say to them today. And we pray that now in Jesus' name, amen. So the Gospel of Matthew opens with a genealogy. Yay! <laughs> right? I, you know, I, I, would, I would ask for a show of hands about how many of you groaned internally when I said the word genealogy. Now, people struggle with the genealogies in the Bible. And often, you know, there's a, you know, there's a reason for it. You know, the, the names are often, they're unfamiliar. They're difficult, if not impossible to pronounce. And, and, they, don't, and they don't seem to relate to us. We, we, don't, we, can't, we can't easily connect to them. Now, now, we need to keep something in mind. Who wrote the Bible? Say it out loud. God did. Okay, he inspired men. Okay, he did do that. But God wrote it. God put the genealogies in there. Hmm. Should we not at least respect that? Even if we don't appreciate them the way that we should, maybe if we don't even, you know, we might skim them as we read them, we should at least respect the fact that God thought it was important to put them in there. And that's okay. We're going to read through this one. And then we'll, then we'll pause and go back and look at it. So bear with me as I, as I read through this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot King David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And jo 
Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah, and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheatiel, and Sheatiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiad, Abiad begot Elikiam, Elikiam begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliot, Eliad, Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all of the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and then from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Amen. Give me a second. This is one of two genealogies in the Gospels. The other one is in Luke, Luke chapter 3. And they're different. The, this one follows and traces the, the, the genealogy of, of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And it, it, it follows the royal line. It proves that Jesus is descended from David and ultimately others that was absolutely crucial for him to be um, worthy or to be qualified to sit on the throne of David. That's very important. The one in Luke chapter 3, if you remember, Luke is the, is the one that focuses on the humanity of Christ. It, folk, it, it follows the line of Mary. And it also goes back through David, which is fascinating. There's a whole connection there. But it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, a bloodline, again, connecting Christ to humanity. Very important for us. <clears throat> Matthew is writing to Jews. And he's writing specifically to Jews that are faithful, faithfully waiting for God to send the Messiah. The, the Jews, they had a, a belief that God was going to send someone to save them to save them from their enemies, and to lead them in, in, in the ways of God. Now, we should remember that, again, as I, as I said previously, Matthew is not writing what he wants to. Right? None of the Bible writers did. They, they, they were inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Apostle Paul tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, all scripture is God breathed. He breathed into the writers and they wrote. Now, he didn't take the writer out of the writing. So you see the the personality and the character of the writer in the writing, but it's all God's words. Every word, all scripture inspired. And so we as a church believe that there's only one useless page in a Bible. You know there's one useless page in a Bible? If you're having a Bible like mine, it's this one right here. It's the one in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You could tear that one out. I'm not going to because I don't believe that, but it's not useful because ultimately it's all inspired by God. So by putting this genealogy first, there's a reason why, why Matthew did it. He's writing to Jews is to connect the New Testament to the Old Testament. For the Jews, 
they, they, the, all they know, all they understand, all they believe in is the Old Testament. They don't call it the Old Testament, by the way. They call it the Tanakh. It's the Bible to them. The Bible ends in Malachi. Actually, I think they, use, uh, they have a different book at the end. I don't remember which one of the, one of the books, but they, their order is different than ours. But so Matthew is connecting and saying, okay, but Jesus is the Messiah and proves it through this genealogy. So that's important for him to minister to the Jews. And a great many Jews come to faith through Matthew, through the book of Matthew, because it opens this way and opens their heart to at least hear what comes next. That's important. So no matter what original audience it was, and that's true of every book of the Bible, regardless of what the original audience was, who the original audience was, there's something for all of us. And so we're going to get into this and look and see what we're going to see in this. So we'll start back in verse 1. And it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The, the very first word... In the book of Matthew, in the original Greek, is biblos. You know what English word we get from that word? Bible. It means literally book. But we, when, you, when you're holding your Bible, it is literally the holy book. And, and we should never forget that every word is holy. And it refers to Jesus as the Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. And it, it is the, the Greek word Christos. I'm not going to get into a bunch of Greek, so don't get worried about that. But it is Christos, and it is, it is a, a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Messiah and Christ are, are synonymous. They're the same. They have a, exactly the same meaning. Messiah means anointed one. In the Old Testament, uh, both kings and priests were anointed. The oil was poured over them and, it, and basically was setting them apart for a particular task, the task of king or the task of priest. Men would anoint other men to set them apart, you know, ostensibly, you know, under God's direction, hopefully under God's direction, to lead. It was a symbol of of, of authority, it was a symbol of calling, it was a symbol of, of their position. Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, fulfills both roles of king and priest. He also has the role of prophet, but that's not for this particular text. He wasn't anointed by men, he was anointed by God. God anointed Christ, sent him to be king and priest. He won't fulfill his role as king within the gospel of Matthew. That comes later. We see that, we see that being fulfilled in the book of Revelation, but we're not doing Revelation today. We'll do that next month. No, we're kidding. We're going to be in Matthew a long time, so just buckle up and hang on. Also refers to Jesus Christ as the son of David. That's vitally important for the Jews to know that, that the Messiah was descended from the, king of Dave, 
from King David. It had, he had to come through one of his lines. Isaiah 11.1 1 says this, They shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, who was David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, Isaiah came long after David was gone, and he's saying that descended from, through, that, through the line of Jesse and David and, and others, that a, that a rod and a branch. Now, rod and branch are idioms for the Messiah. We see them in other places in Scripture as well. In Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Now, Jeremiah, you remember his, when he was around, he was around at the time that, that the king, the role of king in the nation of Israel ended, that, that they were led away into captivity and they didn't have a king after that. So there was a time coming when a king was gonna rise up and that king would, had to be a descendant of David. Also refers to him as the son of Abraham. And that reminds us of the promise that God made to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pointing to God's ultimate promise to use the Messiah, ultimately the Savior, the Christ, to bless the whole world, not just the Jews. Lots of other, other scriptures talk about this whole idea of ancestry and lineage. And, and they, they point to him being descended from Jacob and Judah and Jesse and Zerubbabel. Lots of things. And you see all of those in his genealogy here. So God ordained that the Savior King would come through this line. Now, if you were going to create a genealogy for the Savior of the world, right? If you had an opportunity to do that, what kind of people would you pick, right? You pick really good people, famous people, strong people, really awesome, wonderful people, right? Yeah. You probably wouldn't pick these people, most of them. Verse two, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, Abraham wasn't too terrible, but... Hey, he had made some really weird choices. At one point, telling a couple of points, he told his wife, hey, 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 lie about our relationship. Tell people you're my sister, you know, because so, so these local people won't kill me. Isaac wasn't that bad. Israel started out as Jacob. He was, he was a piece of work. He was a schemer and a conniver and... Did some really weird stuff. Judah and nine of his brothers conspired against Joseph, their other brother, and sold him into slavery. And then this sordid account in verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That, that one's, if you, if you read the Bible, you're going to come across him just some weird stuff. This is one of those ones. Judah, one of, the, one of the 10 sons of Israel, and he was the fourth in line ultimately through whom the Messiah would come. And uh, he had three sons. Two of them were just wicked, wicked men. The oldest marries Tamar, 
who is not a Jew, by the way, and, and, and he's so wicked that God kills him. And then, and then the Jewish system is that her, her, his next brother, his next son, next youngest son would marry her so that he could have a son by her. And then, and then he's so wicked that God kills him too. And Judah says, uh, I don't think I'm going to give her my, I don't think I'm going to give her to my third son. He sends her home to her father and says, hey, when he grows up, then we'll, I'll call you back and you can marry him. He doesn't do it. And so she, she figures out, well, I, I, you know, I can figure this out. So she dresses up as a prostitute. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and they have twins, Perez and Zerah. Not the best kind of people. Verse 4. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to skim through some of these. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Now Rahab, again, she was a Canaanite harlot. She was a prostitute. And here she is in the lineage of the Savior of the world. You know, she, she entered into the scene as, you know, as you know, she's described as the harlot. And she's, the, you know, she, the two spies, Joshua sent in two spies to look at Jericho. She protects them. And then, and then afterwards, they, God protects her and her family. And here she ends up marrying one of the princes of Israel. And then Ruth, another fascinating account. Ruth is a Moabite. Moabites were always, and you know, always kind of against Israel in many ways. Now she is one of the most noble characters in this list, and and it's fascinating to me. She has a whole book named after her. You know, and you think about this: why, why is the book of Ruth in the Bible? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful book filled with character and, and loyalty and, I mean, all, all these amazing things. But it's fascinating to me. Here is this Canaanite or this Moabite woman who ends up having a book named after her in the Bible. Now, now one of the things we need to remember, it's very unusual to have women's names in genealogies at all. The Jews always followed the line of the man. That's when genealogies were were written, it was always based on the man begot another man, begot another man. Having sons was vitally important. That's how the line was passed down. It was very, very important to them. So to have a woman's name in a genealogy was unusual. There are five names in this one. That's fascinating. Verse six, the the next woman and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, David, David was a good king, and he loved God. Acts 13, 22 says this about him. And when he had removed him, meaning that would have been Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. David was a man who had a heart similar to the heart of God. He loved God. 
And we see that. You read you know, many of the Psalms. David wrote many of the Psalms. Beautiful, beautiful Psalms. But he was far from perfect. And one account just stands out above all others. And we see it hinted to right here in this phrase, her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, we know her as Bathsheba. And if most people, even people that aren't super familiar with the Bible, have an idea about the story of Bathsheba. She was bathing on a rooftop, which is a questionable practice probably in any context. David sees her, seduces her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up, and when he can't cover it up, he has her husband murdered. That is not good behavior, right? Would you agree that's probably not the way to act? Yeah, the list goes on and on and on. You know, the, the, the kings that followed David, uh, you know, there were, it's a mixed bag of, of different types of people. Some were good kings. Many of them were good kings, but there were some evil ones and there were some incredibly evil ones. There were kings who sacrificed their children to pagan gods. The evil kings often had sons who were good kings and the good kings had sons that were evil kings. It was weird. You read it, you know, this, oh man, man, this guy was good. Look at all these good things that he did. And his son was like, he's burning his children. That's a little, that's, that's moving way, 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 way off course. Skip down to verse 16. And Jacob, and goes through all these begot, begot, begots. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice the change in language here. It goes from so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. Here, instead of that, it says Jacob begot Joseph, but Joseph did, been, did not beget Jesus. He was married to Jesus' mother, Mary. He had not been with her. He wasn't with her before the, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. But we're going to look at that next week. That's in next week's text. There's very little righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus' ancestors were an unbroken line of sinners, one sinner after another. Jesus didn't come into this world through perfection. If I was writing his, his genealogy, I might have written it differently. That's not what God did. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that this list of names is the people that they are. Jesus didn't come in the world through perfection, but he came from perfection as the perfection of God. He lived perfectly to save the imperfect. His, his genealogy is a list of imperfect people. Even the good ones were imperfect. You can't find a sinless one in the bunch, right? He 
came to save the imperfect. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, Savior King Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. Somebody say, say amen. Came to save sinners. Jesus in his perfect righteousness came to save the unrighteous. What does, that say? what does that say to us? It says to us that, that we don't have to be righteous to be saved. You can come to Jesus as messed up as you are, because you're probably not as messed up as some of the people on this list right here. Matthew 9, 13 says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. We come just like we are. We come broken, we come messed up, we come confused, we become ignorant, we become angry, we become fearful, we come whatever way that we are, we come right down to the cross. And he receives us exactly the way we are. And all he asks is that we believe and repent. And then you can be made right with him. The New Testament begins with a genealogy to prove that Jesus met the qualifications set forth in the Old Testament for the Messiah, for the Savior. That's why Matthew begins with a genealogy, because he wants them to see, okay, before we take another step, before we, before we understand anything else about Jesus, we need to understand that he he is the Messiah. He meets the qualification of Messiah. There's lots of other qualifications, and he's going to deal with a lot of those as we go through the text, through the book. But this main one, this is a main one for the Jews, is that he is king. And within this list, you find representatives of, of all of humanity. You find people with radical faith, and you find people of no faith. You find people who walked intimately, intimately with God and people who rejected God completely. There are rich people and poor people. There are kings and at least one harlot. There are Hebrews and foreigners. There are good people and evil people. There are people who tried to live good lives but made mistakes. There are people who followed God but later turned away from him. There are people who lived lives of rebellion against God but then turn to God later in life. The genealogy of Jesus is a picture of humanity and reminds us all of who he came to save. Who did Jesus come to save? Everyone. No one is so far away from God that Jesus can't reach them. No one is so messed up that Jesus can't save them. The Greek word, for genealogy can also be translated Genesis. We think of Genesis as, you know, the first book of the Bible. It is the beginning. Actually, it, it, it more literally means genealogy. This the, the list of names. The first Genesis began with God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. This new Genesis, we see God creating something new. Not in the world, but in us. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If God included all of these people, good, bad, really messed up, kind of messed up, then he can include anyone. He can include you. He can even include you. And anyone else you know. Anyone else he chooses to be a part of his family. And all we need to do is believe. Jesus came to save sinners. Just like me, just like you, just like those people who are far away from him, he came to save them. So how do we live in this, in our Savior King's kingdom? First, Jesus is our Savior. He is a Savior of every human on earth. Listen, I, I don't know if you pay any attention to what's going on in the world. <laughs> there's some weird stuff happening in the world right now. And, there's, and, and, and there is a temptation as we as we see some of these things and we, and we start to pay attention to, to develop an us versus them mentality. We gotta be careful with that. Because, and, and there are people doing some evil stuff and, and they deserve the judgment that's probably coming to them. I'm gonna actually talk about that in the next, in the Future Today meeting. I'm gonna talk about hell. Anybody wants to talk about hell? I'm gonna talk about hell in the next, in the Future Today meeting after service. we got to be careful. Jesus came to save them. And, and while we disapprove, maybe dislike, and, and even can hate what they're doing, we can't hate them. God would ask us to have a heart like his toward them. He, he sent Jesus to save them, which means that God loves them too, just like he loves us. But to be saved, we must believe. We must believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for our sins. Always start with yourself. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. If you've already done that, then thank him. Regularly thank him. Remind yourself on a regular basis, Jesus, you saved me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. It was a song that we sing sometimes. I was kind of hoping David would just, you know, automatically pick it up, but I should have asked him to play it. Thank you for saving me. And if you haven't received Christ, I'm going to pray about that in a minute. Either here or you're watching online. Jesus is our Savior. Second thing, Jesus is our King. Matthew's Gospel starts with this genealogy to prove that Jesus is king of the Jews. And, and that was important to, for, to approach it from that perspective for the Jews because that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for a king. They are waiting for a conquering king to come in and deliver them at that time from the Romans to prove that Jesus had the right to sit on David's throne. But not just the Jews. He's king of the world. Is king of all humanity. 
And while in his first coming, he did not assert his rights as king, he was king. He is king. And someday he's going to come back. And when he comes back, there can be no question. Nobody's going to question that he is king. And they will bow to him. But it'll be way better, way, way better to do it today. I'm doing pretty well for the way I feel. And one of the ways that we can live in our the Savior King's kingdom is to examine our lives. Because what part of your life is Jesus Savior King of? All of it. But we don't always give it all to him. Sometimes we hold back things. If there's something you're worried about, something you're fearful of, something you're prideful about, those may be areas where Jesus isn't king. And we need to examine ourselves and figure out how to yield that part of our heart to him, that part of our life to him. And if you need help, that's what the church exists for. The church exists to help people in these kinds of things. If Jesus is our Savior King, then we need to learn to yield every part of our heart to him because ultimately that's what he deserves. He saved us so that we, he could be our King and as our King, he's promised to take care of us. He's promised to lead us. He's promised just so many promises of what he promised to do for us, but it requires that we yield ourselves to him more and more every day. Third, genealogy is something of family history. When we received Christ, we were adopted into God's family. And that has, I mean, there could be a whole message just wrapped around that one concept, as with most things that, I, that we talk about up here. God wants a big family, right? Do you know that? Do you know how big God wants his family to be? Like every human on earth is how big he wants his family to be. And once we're a part of God's family, he wants us to be a part of growing his family. We start by growing ourselves, growing in faith, growing in understanding, growing in knowledge. But at some point, he wants us to start sharing all that stuff with others. He wants us to share what God is doing in our lives. He wants us to share the gospel. He wants us to, to reach out and minister hope and love and peace and joy. All the things that God promises he and is doing in our own lives, he wants us to share that with people and give God the credit for it as we're sharing it. He wants us to introduce others to our Savior King. Jesus is our Savior King. And he has made us a part of his kingdom and his family. Now, that's something we can rejoice about and tell others about. Jesus saved us. Jesus is our king. Jesus is invited to be us to be a part of his kingdom and or family. And we should be willing to tell others about it. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for this day. And as we have, have taken this time to 
to begin this study of the book of Matthew. And even though genealogies are sometimes hard for people to relate to, we know that every word is in your book for a reason. Every word is inspired, breathed by the very Spirit of God. And if we'll at least begin from that standpoint, well, <coughs> excuse me, we may not understand what it means or, or even how to pronounce the names or, or any of that kind of stuff. It, it means something. And even if we don't understand what it means, just respecting the fact that it's there and it's your word will do something inside of us. And as we get into some of these things, we start to understand the richness and the depth and the, and the breadth of these things. And, they, and they, they point us to our Savior King. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be clear to receive those things that you would say to us. I thank you, Lord God, that you did send Jesus to save us. And I, I know that, that most, if not all of us here, are saved. And maybe everyone online is saved too, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe someone has not opened their heart to receive Christ as their Savior. And I'm going I'm to talk about the consequence of not doing that in the, the next meeting. Lord God, to be separated for you, from you for all of eternity is, is not something that we should take lightly. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here and they, and they sense you moving, sense you speaking to them, sense you feeling something inside of them that may be calling them to respond, I pray, pray, Lord God, that you would help them to do that. As simple as just choosing to believe. I can still remember the day that I did that. The day that I, I decided, yes, I believe this, this stuff is true. I didn't understand it all. Gosh, I still don't understand it all. But I knew, God, that you're real. I knew, somehow I knew that Jesus was real, that Jesus did, in fact, live and die for my sins and then was raised again and is now at the right hand of God. And that someday, Jesus, you're going to come back for us all. And maybe today is the day for someone to make that choice, to choose to believe and I pray, if that's true, just open your heart and believe. And then confess that belief. In some way, somehow, confess that you believe. It could be as simple as praying a prayer. You can pray it silently right now. Heavenly Father, I choose this day to believe. I believe that I have lived a life that is not right. It may have been good. It may have been bad. It may have been any number of things like the people on this list of names here today. 
but I recognize that that makes me that makes me wrong with you. And I want today to be right with you. You sent Jesus to die so that I could do that, to sacrifice his life so that I didn't have to give my own for my sins. And so I ask, I, I choose to believe today that that's what happened, that Jesus died for my sins on that horrible cross, that his perfect life was the only thing that could save me. And I believe that that's exactly what happened. Lord, I turn from all that is wrong in my life, and I know, I know that I may not live a perfect life after this, but I pray, Lord, that you would help me to live a life that is right with you, turning from those sins that I can, and with your help, turning from all sin. Thank you. Thank you for, for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me the promise of heaven. And thank you for all that you do for your people. And for all of us, God, as we, as we sit here today, believers and unbelievers, not unbelievers, believers or new believers, Lord God, we, we recognize now we're part, of the, we're part of the family of God. We recognize, we acknowledge that Jesus, you are our king. Help us to yield ourselves to your authority in all areas of our lives. And then help us, Lord, to be faithful servants of you, sharing what it is that you're doing in our lives, sharing your word, sharing your truth, sharing your gospel, sharing our experiences with you in such a way that other people can come to know the Savior King of the world. We praise you, Lord, for all that you are and do, and we ask for your blessing on these things and the, and the power to carry out your will, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.